welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Let's pull our Bibles out. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 36, and then I'm going to read through to verse 43. Are you with me? Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Verse 40 says, But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Can we pray? Father, we ask that you would speak by your spirit to our hearts and may we see Jesus and what he's doing in this hour for your glory we pray amen i love this story imagine this if you will the church is starting to expand in fact not just expand it's starting to explode and uh, not just people getting saved being born again people being baptized i mean there are signs and wonders that are happening it's really quite remarkable we will see in Luke's account in Acts that, um, that there were occasions that people came back to life that were raised, and this was one of them. It's important to note that um, as the New Testament church was being established, it actually wasn't commonplace for people to come back to life, for people to be resuscitated. It wasn't commonplace. It did happen. Um, and in fact, it wasn't commonplace, which is why we read about it right because it just wasn't it was out of the ordinary and so it's important for us to see that when we read the acts of the apostles like this um, these things still happen today it may not be that often but it still happens today people still still do get raised from the dead i wholeheartedly believe that pastor Nestoria i saw shared a testimony were you back in burundi when you saw that young child raised from the dead was it burundi it was, yeah. Some of you may have heard that, but I believe these things happen today. This is an account 
where a certain person, a certain woman was raised, came back to life. Let's read that. In those days she became ill, died, and when they had washed her, they had laid her in an upper room. So clearly, she was gone. It's not like she was out for a couple of minutes. She was dead. Since letter was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. This is understandable. Someone just died, and so there's weeping. There's, there's, there's likely more than just weeping. People are very notably upset. She was a loved person because of her good work. She was known. Um, Peter came. We actually don't know why they sent for Peter, whether it was a sense of we, we need prayer, we need a miracle, whether it was just here's an apostle and we need some comfort. We, we, we really don't know. It's unclear. Nonetheless, Peter came, and he might have come to bring comfort, but what he did in verse 40 is really where I want to base my message in today. Verse 40, pay attention. Three things we can, we can note here. The first thing is this, but Peter put them all outside. He put them all outside. The people that were, that, that were upset, notably, visibly, they were upset, they were weeping, with someone that they loved, what did Peter do? He says, all right, outside. Outside. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Shut out the noise. Shut out the noise. For some of us, and we're, uh, we're faced with an issue like that, perhaps there is a dead issue, a dead zone in our lives. Perhaps there's a sickness, there's an ailment, there's an illness. Um, and maybe we are participating in this same, maybe necessary experience of weeping we're upset and there's sorrow what we see here that Peter does is he puts them outside he's shutting out the noise I don't know about you but there is so much noise about my life these days so much noise I hear noise in ministry, I hear noise in my family, I hear noise on the TV. There's constant commotion, constant commotion. And uh, I'm at risk of, uh, of, of death by distraction. <laughs> Am I the only one? Or death by despair. There's not just distraction around about me, there's despair everywhere. It's there. I don't just want to put my head in the sand and pretend like it's not. No, I need to know that it's there. But there are times I've just got to, got to shut out that noise. Death by distraction. Death by despair. What about death by doubt? So much doubt in the world. So much fear. There's fear porn everywhere. That's the real pandemic. It's all about fear and being afraid. And what that does is it takes our eyes off the Lord and onto the commotion, 
onto the weeping, onto the wailing, onto the sorrow, and it, it kind of rubs off on us. You know that fear is entirely contagious, don't you? It's a highly infectious disease. And the enemy loves to use fear to exploit, which is why they term it fear exploitation. Because the enemy knows that if he can, he can get your attention, he can bring about a little bit despair, or, or, or perhaps uh, he can divide your heart. Perhaps he can see a little bit more doubt in there. Then we're not going to be set as God's people. So let's uh, let ourselves. Let's not be drama llamas. <laughs> And learn to shut out the noise. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 23, we see Jesus do an incredible miracle about a, a man that couldn't see. We see that he eventually spits in the mud and brings about a paste to cause him to see. But in this region of Bethsaida, which is known for its hard-heartedness, says he took the blind man by the hand led him out of the village he led him out of the village why couldn't he do it, just do it in the village why why did he lead them out of the village do the miracle and then you you read afterwards check it out he says don't go back there <laughs> don't go back there don't go back don't go back here's a submission brothers and sisters to be mindful of the people that you have around you it doesn't mean that you can't be around people you disagree with, but where do you find your sense of encouragement and nourishment? Because we can be malnourished off the fear and the doubt of other people, or we can be totally nourished by those around us that provoke our faith. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence. Or out of it spring forth the issues of life. I am so grateful for brothers and sisters that through at certain points and moments of my life they have been there to not just allow me to wallow in my sorrow. But they have listened but lovingly led me forward in faith. I'll tell you what, I've, I haven't had the easiest last few years. I know many of you, you uh, have a similar story. It's been tough for you the last year, the last few years, last 10 years, it's been hard for you. But the people that stick out to me the most are not just the people that said, oh, poor you, you're the victim. No, it's the people that have said, come on, God is good. Keep trusting, keep persevering, keep enduring. When I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but shake Pastor Nestori, who I referred to earlier. When we get together and pray, he says, how are you going? And we, we ask the same thing of one another. And he says, God is good, man. He'll get you through. God is good. You watch. You watch. There is a miracle. You watch. What does that do for you when you get around people that just boost you and lift you up? Yes, God is good. I forgot. I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I, I forgot of your, your faithfulness. I, I forgot of your mercy. I forgot of your enduring love. I forgot about all that. Because by nature, we have a, 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 a fallenness, a, a, a trying to cast off sinful 
old ways of living and thinking that pulls us away from God and, um, and, and then tries to draw us back to the ways of the world's thinking. Who do you have surrounded, surrounding you? Just as fear is contagious, so is faith. See, when I'm struggling, and don't come around me if you don't have faith, because I need your faith. I need that. I need people of faith. All outside, it says. And it says, he knelt down and he prayed. That's the, that was the next thing he did. So put them outside, get rid of the noise, get rid of the commotion. What's the first thing he did? What did he do? Go straight to your rock. Go straight to your rock. Don't go straight to Facebook. Don't go straight to Instagram. Don't go straight to Tic-Tac-Toe. Don't go straight to Tweetbase. Don't, go, don't do any of that. Go straight to God. Here, don't go straight to your doctor. Go straight to God. Don't go straight to the medicine cabinet. Go straight to God. Don't go straight to the shopping center for your therapy. The ladies are laughing loud. The men are laughing very awkwardly at the moment. Go straight to God. Go straight to your rock. In our times of trial, the place we first turn to often reveals the anchors of our heart. This is something that uh, Martin Luther said in the 16th century. You can show it on the screens, please. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. So my question, brothers and sisters, is what does your heart cling to? We have a rock that we can lean on, that we are built upon. Let's see what it says. Psalm 78, 35 says, And they remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High God their Redeemer. Isaiah 30, verse 29, Go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. Psalm 62, 7, Oh, on God my salvation and my glory rest, the rock of my strength. My refuge is in God. Shall I go on? Psalm 18, 31, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? 2 Samuel twenty two thirty two. for who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock beside our God? All these great questions. But check out what God himself says. Isaiah 44, verse 8, you can see it on the screens. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. When you're in trouble, when you're down, when you're out, where do you first go to? Not where do you second or third or last go, go, go to. Where do you first go to? 
My friend Hazel is married to a very close friend of mine, Shane, who's in this church. Hazel, when the first thing happened, when Shane um, struggled with his uh, pancreatitis and then his body started to shut down about six weeks ago, much loved uh, 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 family in this church. He was rushed to Junilab Hospital. They didn't know what was going on at first. The first thing she says, can you please pray? Can you please get people to pray? They don't know what's happening. That's the first thing. Go to your rock in that time of trial. Go to your rock. He was transferred over to Charlie's. And I was asked, are you able to please go and pray? So I went and I prayed. You know what I did? I snuck in a little jar of oil in ICU. They drew the curtains for me very nicely. It was extra virgin too. Got it from my kitchen at home. None of that canola nonsense, extra virgin. The nurse told me he's out, he doesn't hear anything. He's in a coma. I went up to him, I said, Shane, I know you're in there, I know you can hear me, God's got you. As I started to speak life, I told him what I was doing, put oil on it. I said, we're praying for you. God has you. He's taking care of you. And all Hazel would say was, can you just get people to pray? Please. She knew in whom she stood. The day after that, on the Monday, I went in there and they said, no, he's still out. He's out. I remember that because we had prayer at Encounter that evening. And I went there and I hold his hand again, speaking life. He's in a coma. I said, I know you can hear me. He started to squeeze my hand. I told, told the nurse, they said, yeah. They, she came in. He starts motioning over with his other hand to write. So he's moving his hand. We put a pen in his hand, and he's starting to write. So is he, is he out or is he not? No, he's there. And many steps later, six weeks later, we see he's talking, he's laughing. I'm, I was joking with him just the other day. About his basketball team losing. <laughs> I told him he can't. I said, in, in, I'll put this on. An earshot of the nurse, I said, mate, you can't go back to smoking anytime soon. <laughs> they laughed awkwardly and Shane's just shaking his head like this. He's still got his sense of humor. So when we're up against it, we go to our rock. But here's something else to submit, brothers and sisters. When things are going really well, will you still stand on the rock? Or will, will you forget about him? Not just in the valleys low, but in the mountains high, will we still go to our rock? It's amazing though what happens. We see what's really in our hearts when troubled times come. It's like um, things go well and we start to, we can drift away from church for some of us and then when hard times come, oh, we're back in the house again. For others, it's the other way around. When hard times come, we leave the church because we think, oh, how could God allow this to happen? When sin's in the world, things happen. Regardless, whether we get our way or not, we must trust God. Regardless. I trust Him, I worship Him, I honor Him, not just because of what I can get from Him, but because of who He is. And when we don't get our way, because... We can read this about Tabitha 
Earlier in Acts, we see Stephen, who was martyred, he died. He didn't come back to life. A few chapters later, it was James, the first apostle that was martyred. He didn't come back to life. Sometimes people come back to life, sometimes they don't. But regardless, I tell you what, immature faith says, when we don't get our way, immature faith says, why God? But mature faith says, I still trust you, God. So God wants to grow us up a little bit here. Will we go straight to the rock? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart when it's convenient. <laughs> no, with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. The beauty of this is when we are set on our rock and because we know He is stable, we become more stable. And then a byproduct of that, a fruit of that, is peace and joy. Peace is one of those things that the world cannot give. But when you're set on the rock, everything is just that much easier. Isaiah 26 verse 3, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you trust in him this morning? So we see in verse 40, Peter put them all outside. He shut out the noise. We see that he knelt down and he prayed. That was what he did straight after. He went straight to his rock. But the final thing we see, it says, And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So, knelt down in humility and boldness boldness says I go to him I love him he's good he'll take care of me but humility says he's God he can do as he wants so he kneels and he prays but then he turns to her and he says Tabitha arise and here for us we must remember that we've got to let our faith off the lease because faith just in here without any expression or any demonstration is a weak kind of faith please anyone have pet animals at home I've got a dog Violet Gabriella Fernandez, Violet, Gabriella Fernandez. I didn't come up with the names. As uh, my second born says, Violeta Gabriella Fernandez. We've got to keep the dog on the leash. <laughs> but at times when I'm feeling a little bit cheeky, I'll let her go. I'll let her go. But most of the times when I'm out in public, she has to be on the leash. I love that dog, as smelly as she is. But she's often on the leash. For us, I wonder, for myself, I wonder if at times I like to play it safe like that with my faith. And, uh, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll just pray about it. And I won't do anything I won't declare, I won't speak, I won't act, I won't give, I won't do anything different because it's safe. 
Because inside of us, perhaps, we have a fear of failure. We have a fear of rejection. Well, what if our faith doesn't work? What if what we say doesn't work? What if, what if, what, 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 what if I, 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 I tell the person that can't walk to stand up and walk? What if someone has a headache and, 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 and I declare their headache to go and it doesn't work? What, what, I, look like a, I look like a fool. That's keeping faith on the leash. We've got to risk it if you want to risk it. So how often do we keep faith on that leash? What does it look like for you? Perhaps it's time to let faith show itself. Now we know that we're saved by our faith alone, but our faith is never alone. True faith shows itself. As you heard Pastor Brett preach last week, faith, there is a motion aspect to it. There is an action aspect to it. Faith has fruit. There are works that are fruit on the tree where the root is in faith. So what does it look like for you in your life to, to actually let faith off the leash? For some of us, perhaps wrestling with addiction, perhaps praying about sin, perhaps it's a relational challenge, maybe it's a physical ailment. I don't know what it is for you. And you're holding on to God and you're praying, but you're doing nothing else. But here we see an example where Peter gets up, turns to the dead body, and he declares a word that God gives him. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55. I didn't give you those in the notes, Wes, but if you go to Isaiah 55, I love this. 55 verse, around about 11, it says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God's word has power. It has power. Do you know when God gives you a word and he births it in you to declare it, as soon as it proceeds, it accomplishes something. And it's not going to come back empty. That's the promise. So if God gives you a word about a thing, a person, a season, and he says, I want you to do something with it, don't let fear don't let timidity, don't let it stop you from doing something with it. Don't just let it feel good inside. Say something. Declare it and let the results fall as they may. What's the word that God has given to you? Maybe it's a word that you've got to continually declare. Don't give up. Don't let go. Don't shrink back. Don't hold back. What is the word that he's given to you? This is the beauty of this passage. He says, Tabitha, arise. Now, who says that? Peter, remember that. It's Peter. It's Peter that says, Tabitha, arise. But there's another couple of words. The root there is uh, Tabitha, kumi. Tabitha Kumi, that is Tabitha Arise. Tabitha Kumi. There are another couple of words that says Talitha Kumi. Talitha Kumi. Does anyone else remember hearing that somewhere in the Bible? You put your hand up. 
where? Talitha Kumi, Jesus says that. He says it to the little girl. You guys are scholars in this church. So Peter says, Tabitha Kumi, just like Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, arise. Let's go to Mark chapter 5, which is where it actually says that. Mark chapter 5, verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. That laugh is um, what we called an imperfect tense. It wasn't just they once laughed. It was, it was a continuous. They were laughing at him. They mocked him. Continuously. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. Where did we read that before? He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up, began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I love that last bit there. He cared so much about the little girl. Give her some food, would you? Who was there with Jesus at the time? Anyone know? Take a guess. That's right. Peter was there. Verse 37 says, He allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Think about that for a moment. So we go from Acts chapter 9, where Peter shuts out the noise, gets on his knees, says arise but he's remembering something that he was part of previously where he saw Jesus himself come to an event Jairus's daughter a ruler's daughter cuts the commotion out get outside come on he said Peter James John come with me where are the parents come in little girl arise it's so important for us to never underestimate our faith in someone else's miracle or how our faith can be a model for someone else. Never underestimate how you respond in moments of crisis because people are watching. If it's a fearful response, you might get a fearful response in those that are around about you. But if it's a faith-filled response, others can see it. Can I share a very personal story over the last couple of weeks about this? A few weeks ago, uh, my sister-in-law gave birth to her fourth child. And uh, she gave birth to a beautiful boy named Levi. 
But after several days, when she was, after she was discharged from hospital, she started getting some pain. And the baby wasn't doing too well. So she was asking the hospital, listen, can I come in? Can I and they didn't think there was anything to it. Check it out with a GP and so forth. And it was just... But after about a week, seven or eight days, she got rushed to emergency, almost totally unconscious. And they found out that she had um, an extraordinarily bad infection. It was so bad, in fact, that uh, they drained two litres of pus from around her organs. That was on the Thursday. The baby wasn't well either. The baby had an infection. So they had them both in care of the hospital. Now, what happened 24 hours after that was um, mayhem in, in that family, in our family, where we were very concerned. Rightfully so. The hospital said, clearly, they said she is clearly or comfortably the most sick person we've got in ICU. She was in a bad way. So in ICU, the next day, um, it didn't look good at all. I had spoken to the head consultant. He had called me up on the phone. I was very involved with this. and said, listen, it's not looking good. Um, what she has and the situation she's in is in a very rare It's a very rare occurrence. Something like this only happens every few years. And um, we're going to have to operate again very quickly. And we're going to have to remove a lot of her internals to stop this infection to try and save her. And my brother was rightfully concerned. Actually, he was scared. And he said, Josh, they're telling me she's, there's a high chance she's not going to make it. All I could do was text him. I said, you rebuke that report. We must trust God. Did I know what was going to happen? No, I had no clue. But all I, I knew, we just have to keep trusting God. My mum's here, she'll tell you. It was, it was hard, wasn't it, mum? So on the Friday, he says, we have to operate straight away. It's not looking good. We've operated on this three a similar situation three times like this before. Twice the women have died. So we give her a one in three chance. I said to him on the phone, I said, listen, are you a person of faith? He says, pardon? I said, are you a person of faith? I don't care who you are, how many letters you got next to your name. He said, uh, well, yeah. I said, can you just have faith in God with me? He says, I'll have faith. He operated on her on the Friday evening, and then um, it was actually worse than what they thought. The report back was they couldn't believe she was still alive after what they saw. They deemed the operation a success, so she did well up until Saturday morning, and she had a really bad turn on the Saturday. On the Saturday morning, they said, uh, uh, we, we, we think this is it. This is at about 10, 11 o'clock on the Saturday. I remember us praying. The, the call for a number of people, our intercessors were praying. We're all in on this. People I'd found out that I hadn't even spoken to overseas, interstate, they'd been praying as well. They didn't even know Helena. It's probably my mum. She sends everyone everything, as mums do. Get the people praying. The surgeons said uh, uh, to bring in Helena's mother and eldest son on the Saturday because they felt this was it. That it could be kind of like a final goodbye. And... Um, we just kept praying as all we can 
because we got to, we got to, we got to go to our rock, don't we? But then some things started to change. It started to shift. Can you grab my phone? I want to read to you just some of the reports from um, from the head consultant. This is what he says. I'm taking notes as he's talking to me. He says, I just came to check in on things and I couldn't believe it. He's standing in front of her. Her heart rate is good. The temperature is good. Blood pressure is good. He says, Helena just opened her eyes. I did not expect this. She's looking fantastic. He said to me, look, following my question to him about being a man of faith, being a person of faith, he goes, I'm partially a man of faith, but I'm converted to be more of a man of faith now. Not in my wildest dreams that I expect to see Helena, to see her turn for the better like this, especially so quickly. She is one fighter. I said, I, I agree with you there, but God sits above all this and he's taking care of her. His response was this, I won't argue with that. 110% she has a massive helping hand in this. I'm super thrilled. I'm secretly confident she will walk out of this place. She called me up yesterday from hospital. She's in the normal ward now. And the doctor, my brother said the doctor wants to talk to me a bit again because he can't, he, he, it's, it's inexplicable. He, he doesn't know what's going on. When I was going to visit in pediatrics for little Levi, who's now discharged, he's released now, he's all good. Infection's gone from her body, by the way, praise God. It's all good, right? Here's the point. It's not just about her healing, and it's not just about our faith. Though our faith is, it's provoked, isn't it? It's strengthened when we hear stuff like this. There are people now, nurses and doctors in the hospital, talking about this. I walk past nurses, <laughs> and even there was one doctor who really rubbed me up the wrong way. I, I thought to myself, you faithless muppet. I actually thought that. And I, had to, I, I actually did. I thought, hey, I can't. She's, she's not a person of faith, so I've got to be careful here, right? But people are talking now. This is a witness. Like what we see here. You see what happened after Tabitha came back to life? After Jairus' daughter came back to life? People talk. It's, it's, it's a testimony of God's goodness. But my question is, in your moment of trial, in your moment of tribulation, in your moment of weakness, after you shut it out, after you shut out the noise, after you get on your knees and you seek God, from that point, what will you do? Because I find myself sometimes struggling at that point. And, and I keep my faith to myself. I keep it on a leash. When God says, don't just sit there, do something. Say something. Don't let fear or doubt overwhelm. Do something. Mark 11, Jesus says, if you look at this mountain and say to it, may God lift you up and be thrown into the sea, it'll be done. 
He says, if you say it, if, if you tell it to. He doesn't say if you think it in your heart. If you declare it. So friends, what is God calling for you to declare? Because your words carry weight. We don't need to bring about dissension or division with our words. We can bring about life. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. God's word coming out of your mouth can create miracles. God's word out of your mouth. Just don't let it sit in your heart and stay there. Let it off. Let it do something. If you will, would you stand with me, please? And I want you to consider... Maybe there's a, a Tabitha moment in your heart, in your life somewhere. Maybe there's a, an unhealthily dead thing that needs to be brought back to life. Maybe it's like a Jairus' daughter that there needs to be some sort of resuscitation. You know, we can't do anything in and of our own strength. It has got to be from God. It's got to come from His authority. But do you know what is a precursor for the demonstration of that authority is a revelation of our intimacy and our identity. That's why we we, we got to get on our knees. God, I need you here. When I was praying for my sister, you know, it was, it was one of my girls. She walked into my bedroom. I was on my knees by my bed and I was saying, Lord, do not let this happen. Please don't let this happen. Think of the children. Think of my character of a brother, Matt. <laughs> don't let this happen to them. My daughter comes in and she sees. Do you know what she does? She comes and kneels with me. Don't underestimate the demonstration of your faith, your cry for someone else. I want to pray into this just now and I want to ask that we bring our need to God. Don't take it online. Don't, take it, don't, need, don't need to take it to your spouse or your neighbor or your children or your parents. Just, we take it to God right now. Can we do that together? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We bring it to you. We shut out all that noise. We shut out all that commotion, all the weeping. Maybe it's been in our hearts and we've been complaining for too long, whinging for too long, mourning for too long. But you tell us to dust ourselves off and get up. But Lord, we come to you now in humility and in boldness and we say, give us the word. Just give us that rhema word, the revelation that we can speak to it. Father, as a people, we want to stand on you, on the rock of our salvation. We ask for you to be exalted, Lord. As the team begin to minister and worship, I just want to spend a few minutes in having some time with God. If you're here before you leave and you would like prayer, come forward. There'll be a few of us who'll have to stand with you, pray for you. The altar will be open. I just want to spend another few minutes if we can. But let's give this moment to God. Give back to God what we need 
to give to him. Perhaps we've taken it for ourselves. God says, "Uh uh-uh, I want that back. I want it back. Trust me. I am your refuge. You can't work this out. Let me take care of it. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.